Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 11. Last week, I covered the first two judges found in the text, Othniel and Ehud, both found in Judges 3. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm kicking off with the next judge, Shamgar, and pressing forward. And with that, let's get started. Shamgar was so noteworthy, he only merited a single sentence in Judges 3, though he does pop up shortly later, but in a historical context. The passage in the third chapter reads, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, he too delivered Israel. And that's it. In fact, the next sentence, found in Judges 4, is a bit of a slight to him, reading, The Israelites did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord, after Ehud died. Between the lines, this part of the historical record skips over Shamgar entirely. There's a potential reason for this I'll get to in a minute. Backing up just a single sentence, Shamgar, the son of Anath, is the name of one or maybe two individuals found in the book of Judges. The name itself occurs twice. The first is in this passage, while the second is two chapters later in the Song of Deborah. This first mention, the one about Shamgar killing 600 Philistines with an ox goad, is certainly about the judge. As for this thing called an ox goad, it was a wooden tool, about eight feet, nearly three meters long, fitted with a spike, likely bronze, maybe iron, or some other point at one end. It was used to spur oxen as they pulled a plow or cart. It often had an iron scraper at the non-pointed end to clear clods of earth from the plow when it became bogged down. And the fact that he killed Philistines likely means Shamgar lived in the south and west of the territory controlled by the Israelites. So, perhaps he was from the tribe of Dan, Judah, Benjamin, Simeon, or Ephraim. But the actual tribe is not disclosed in the text, likely meaning the writer of Judges didn't know. As for the mention in the Song of Deborah, she sang, In the days of Shemgar, son of Anath, in the days of Yael, caravans ceased and travelers kept to the byways, likely meaning there was some sort of restriction on travel, probably from marauding bands of bandits. The NIV offers a slightly different translation, saying that the highways were abandoned, Travelers took to winding paths. Either way, passage from here to there got more difficult. For whatever reason, the next sentence says the peasantry prospered. Superficially, I have trouble reconciling how all of that is simultaneously possible. But then again, I look at it through my modern lens. There's one other thing about Shamgar. Unlike the descriptions of other biblical judges, the first reference to Shemgar has no introduction, conclusion, or reference to the length of reign. And, like I pointed out earlier, the next part of the judge's narrative follows on directly from the previous Ehud story. Before taking all of this into account and trying to make sense of it, there's one other important thing to note. 
In several ancient manuscripts, the Oxgoat account of Shemgar occurs after the story of Samson, instead of immediately after Ehud, in a matter that many consider consistent with the overall narrative. This leads some researchers to propose that this alternate, later position is more likely to be the passage's original location, meaning later in the historical timeline, though it does make his reference in Deborah's lyric more problematic. There are a couple of potential solutions to this. One is that Deborah, too, occurred later, and the other is that the Shemgar in her song is a different person entirely, though their fathers would have had had the same name, making it less likely. I would say I'm leaving the final decision up to you, but in honesty, there really isn't much to go on. Before moving along, there is one other thing to note. The story of Shamgar is similar to that of Shammah, found in the book of 2 Samuel. Shammah, the son of Agi, was said to have been one of the three, a group of warriors, mighty men, associated with King David. His greatest deed was the defeat of a troop of Philistines. After the Israelites fled from this group of Philistines, Shammah stood alone and defeated them himself. He is credited with having single-handedly beat these Philistine soldiers in a lentil field. Some biblical scholars believe that the same individual is found in both stories, meaning the story found in Judges and the other in Samuel. This would also mean that the passage in Judges moved to its present location as the result of a mention of Shemgar in the Song of Deborah. This would rely on the additional proposal that the name of the individual may have originally been Shammah and was changed to match the Shemgar found in the Song of Deborah. Before I wrap up this Shemgar, specifically the one found in Judges and the little known about him, there's one other potential thing to cover. A few, albeit not common, sources have proposed that Shemgar was actually a foreign oppressor of the Israelites, this instead of a liberator or leader. This proposal is based on what's mentioned in the Song of Deborah, and that it really doesn't point to the gaining of any sort of freedom. There's also the theory that his name wasn't Hebrew, but was instead Hittite possibly a derivative of a similar name I'll spare you. There was a Hittite king of Carchemish, whose name was roughly similar, but that's not all the theory is based on. Anath, who the Shamgar and Judges was said to be the son of, is also the name of a Canaanite deity. In this case, being called the son of Anath may be nothing more than a royal title back when leaders took on the role of deities. Adding to the confusion is that the suffix Anath can be found as part of the name of several Canaanite, then Israelite cities, and all of this from the two single sentences in Judges 3. If you ever wonder why it takes so long to go through the history found in the Bible, just think back to this episode. Moving along. Fortunately, the next judge is more well-known, Deborah. Judges sets the foundation around Deborah as a prophetess for the Israelites. Like I've mentioned before, she is considered by many to be the most influential woman, or at least one of them, found in the entirety of the Bible. 
not just because of her being a prophetess turned judge, but also because she did so independently of any relationship, wife, mother, sister, of any man. Depending on the translation, she was said to have been either a woman of Lapidote or the wife of him, and that's it. So, if he was her husband, he only marginally warranted a mention. There is a less frequent translation, and that's that lapid may actually translate to torch or lightning. If this is the case, then the text may not refer to her husband, and instead to her as being a fiery woman, or something I'll mention at the end of the episode. Given her history, which I haven't yet given its due, that translation works too. As for being a prophetess, and while she was developing into a judge, she tells Barak, who was an Israelite general from Kadesh in Naphtali, that God commanded him to lead an attack against the forces of Jabin, a king of Canaan. The attack was specifically against Jabin's military commander, Sisera. All of this can be found in Judges 4. There's more to it, which I'll get to in just a second. But first, know that the next chapter, Judges 5, essentially recounts the same story, only this time in a poetic form, known as the Song of Deborah. This may be the earliest example of Hebrew poetry dating to perhaps the 12th century BC, and I'll get to it after the history of Deborah. As for the history of the battle I'm about to cover, it comes from a combination of both chapters and Judges. In the Judges' narrative, in the beginning of the story about her, Deborah would render judgments and potentially prophecies beneath a date palm tree between Ramah and Benjamin and Bethel in the land of Ephraim. This places the palm west of the Jordan and north of the city that would eventually become Jerusalem. Israel likely controlled the harsher parts of the country, the hills and forest, areas referred to elsewhere as the wilderness, but the Israelite settlements in the central range are cut off from those in the northern hills by a chain of Canaanite, or possibly Egyptian fortifications, perhaps all the way down to the plain of Esdrahilon, which is between Galilee and Samaria. At this time, some of the Israelites were being oppressed by Jabin, a king of Canaan, the same king mentioned after Ehud and Shamgar. Jabin made his capital at Hazor located well north of Bethel, and therefore the palm where Deborah judged. Jabin had ruled over these Israelites for 20 years. At some point, Deborah was fed up with being subjugated and sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam. It's thought he either lived at or was from Kedesh, in the territory of Naphtali. Since he wasn't a judge, I'm not covering Barak now but we'll get to him when I circle back. Deborah tells Barak to gather 10,000 troops from Naphtali and Zebulun and march them to Mount Tabor for consecration. There's a possibility he also included troops from Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Issachar. The second group was mentioned as having helped in the Song of Deborah, but not in chapter 4. She tells Barak that Jabin's commander, 
Sisera will be drawn out into the plain all the way down to the river Kishon. But Barak isn't going to go without her, so Deborah agrees to accompany him. Sisera hears of the rebellion and gathers up 900 iron chariots and a substantial but uncounted number of troops. Barak leads to 10,000 to the battlefield after Deborah tells him that God will give the enemy to him. And he does. But not before a thunderstorm arose. In this storm, the assembled Israelites see God descending from Sinai, while the same storm strikes terror into the heart of the Canaanites. And then the rain started, rendering the heavy iron chariots pretty much useless in the ground that was quickly turning to mud in the thunderstorm-induced torrent. And if that wasn't enough, the Kishon River began to swell, sweeping away many of the Canaanite forces. All was nearly going according to plan, with the exception of the Canaanite general escaping on foot while what remained of his army was pursued as far as Herosheth, said to be in the territory of the Gentiles. The Israelites give chase, catch up with the retreating army, then destroy it. For what it's worth, the King James reads, This destruction occurred in the land of the Gentiles. The other two translations I use for the podcast lack this detail. This chapter in Judges is only the second time the word Gentiles is found in the Bible, with the earliest reference being in Genesis 10, in a list of people descended from Japheth. As for the general Sisera, he is eventually caught and executed. I'll get to the details of that when I circle back, too. As for King Jabin, the text doesn't say that he was immediately defeated. Instead, it likely took some time, with the narrative reading that the hand of the Israelites bore harder and harder on King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed him. Next, both Deborah and Barak break out the Song of Deborah. What's unclear is if they did this just after Sisera's death, or after King Jabin was finally defeated. Either way, after the song, there was a peace in the land for 40 years. Like other things in the narrative, I'll cover the Song of Deborah at a later point, along with the details in it that are different from the narrative found just a chapter earlier. As for the prophetess and judge herself, traditional Jewish chronology places Deborah's 40 years of judging Israel between about 1107 B.C. up until her death in 1067 B.C. Other sources position it a little earlier, beginning around 1200 B.C. and running until 1124 B.C. Obviously, this is longer than 40 years, and likely included her judging while the area was still under Jobin's control. The primary reason for the different dating is a dispute among academics on whether the battle or war better fits the general historical context of the second half of the 12th century or the second half of the 11th century BC. There is a grave near Kedesh attributed to either Barak or Deborah, but like so many such places, no one really knows if either is entombed there. It could be nothing more than a tourist trap-type legend passed down for years, centuries, millennia maybe. According to another rabbinic tradition, she was a keeper of tabernacle lamps, 
a literal fiery woman. And that's it for Deborah, and a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with the next judge, Gideon. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.